Hello innovators, explorers and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast and on today's episode I am interviewing Tama Churchhouse. Tama is COO of Cumberland Labs which is a Web3 incubator that has helped launch projects such as Hashflow, Expand, Dot Network and digitally amongst many others. Tama is extremely knowledgeable with all things crypto, NFT, DeFi because he has been working full time in crypto in blockchain since 2016 and before that he has done many years in traditional finance in working with companies like JP Morgan. In this episode, we talk about the future of NFTs, the future of blockchain, what is happening in US with the whole regulatory side, which countries he thinks are taking a lead when it comes to this space. We also talk extensively about the role of stable coins and just where the whole crypto ecosystem is going. So if you are someone who is working in this space, then this episode is for you. Finally, nothing mentioned in this podcast should be taken as investment advice. And I do not run any ads on my podcast. My only ask is that you share this episode on your social media. With that out of the way, let's get into it. So Kiara Tama, it's great to have you on the show. And for some of our audience who don't know you, would love for you to share a bit about your background and what you are doing these days. Sure. Thanks, Sam. So I'm currently Chief Operating Officer for Cumberland Labs, which is early stage venture studio and incubator focusing on the blockchain space. We're backed by DRW and Cumberland. So Cumberland's the large crypto market maker and DRW is a large global proprietary trading shop. So that's we've been with, you know, this project is about a, a year old now. Prior to that, I've been in the, the crypto space, I would say, on a full-time basis since 2016. You know, first got involved with Bitcoin in 2012, although I have to say I didn't really, yeah, I didn't go all in until much later. So I spent my, my kind of crypto career on the business development and venture capital side of things predominantly. And so what we're doing at Cumberland Labs now is really zero to one ideation and business building. We've got a team around 35, 40, predominantly engineers, devs, as well as strategists, research, legal. And what we do is we build businesses really from whiteboard to POC to product and out the door. Prior to that, I, I spent uh, 10 to 15 years in TradFi um, on the kind of structured derivatives desks at uh, ABN Amro and JP Morgan in Hong Kong. And yeah, so currently in Singapore, now i've been in hong kong my whole life before this and yeah tama as you say it's a good old-fashioned maori name as my parents are from new zealand aka god's country so yeah i'm glad to hear you're down there it, it is great yeah there are things happening here as well in the web3 world but nothing compared to how vibrant I found the Singapore's Web3 ecosystem, especially last month being at Token 2049. And it was great to see that, that there are still so many startups and 
like just the whole ecosystem was really healthy compared to going to so many different countries. And actually, I'm a bit jet lagged. I just got back yesterday from Dubai. I'd gone to Future Blockchain Summit and a few other events and Blockchain Life and a few other things happening in, in Dubai just to see. And it's very different, but definitely there is a lot more, I don't know, positivity in the market or in the sentiment, it seems. What has your um, opinion been? Do you feel like things are improving in the market? Yeah, very much. I think you have a, a pretty bifurcated crypto market at the moment when it comes to business building. Um, you've got the US on one side, and then you've got the Middle East, Singapore, Hong Kong, and to an extent, London as well now. So I think that the, the sentiment in the US is really just very heavy. And there's still a lot of you know, regulatory cleanup that needs to happen on that side. I've been to the Middle East a couple of times in the past um, six months, and it's you know it's it reminds me of Singapore back in 2018. Um, you know, just very bullish, very enthusiastic. A lot of founders, new companies, a lot of people moving there. Um, Singapore, I think, went through a bit of a lull the last couple of years, uh, yes. um, but I think really since last last year's token 2049. Since then, it's definitely been on an upward trajectory. And I think you also see there's been a flurry of new licenses issued by the MAS in Singapore in the past few months, Coinbase and some others. And that is definitely a departure from last year. I think if I was being a bit cynical, I might say it might be in response to a lot of the, the proactivity on the regulatory side that we saw in Hong Kong over the last six to 12 months. Singapore and Hong Kong have always viewed themselves as somewhat competitors. And I, I think Singapore is probably responding to that a little bit as well. But yeah, it, it's, it's great for the space. There's a lot of energy here. And as you said, you're in Token 2049, and that was just a, a massive event, bigger than last year's. So, you know, I wouldn't have thought that was possible. But yeah, I think look, it's great. It, it's, let's be clear, though, we are still very much in a bear market certainly in terms of early stage valuations and the broader non-BTC crypto market. But I, I think everything is very positive at the moment. Yeah, that's good to hear. Coming back to Cumberlands, I would love to learn a bit more about Cumberlands um, Incubator and how it works because so many listeners of this podcast are early stage founders or um, entrepreneurs interested in building a Web3 startup? Sure. We really look at two two lines of business. So we've got what we would call internal incubation, and that is venture studio side of things comes in. And that's where we're really starting with a blank piece of paper, whiteboard, and it's just a lot of ideation on what we want to build. And we will go through a process of scoping it, researching it, building out a POC, and then making a decision, do we want to proceed with it or not? And that's all done internally. On the other side of the coin, we very selectively look to work with external founders. So people who come in mm. at very early stage, effectively with a deck. And what we're looking for from those kind of entrepreneurs is a few things. We're looking for a degree of domain expertise. We, kind of, we typically want founders who you know, have a significant amount of experience in, in what they're doing and what they're building. Because our approach is to go, if we you know, decide to work with and back a founder, we will put substantial um, capital and resources as a first check into that venture. And what I mean by that is we go all in. So we are not a, we are not your traditional incubator where you have cohorts of 20, 30, 50 
people coming in with 100k, 50k, 200k of allocation, and we are not like that. We have yeah. much more high conviction. And really in particular, our backers are Cumberland, which is, I think, probably the largest spot OTC market maker in crypto and liquidity provider, and DRW, the parent, their parent company. So that's a kind of a 20 or 30-year-old proprietary trading firm in the TradFi markets who they, those guys trade everything that's not nailed down, should we say. So we, we're really looking for, for companies that can leverage the relationships that we have in terms of liquidity, market-making, trading expertise that we have within our broader network at, at DRW and Cumberland. So that's the overview of what, what we do. And maybe we can speak about some of the, the, the projects that we have in flight at the moment. Oh, absolutely. That was going to be my next question. So what are some of the startups currently going through incubator or that you have incubated? Sure. So on the external side, I think Hashnote is probably a, a good example. The founder, Leo Muzahara, was a former DRW trader, options trader. So he ran a desk for many years, had banking background as well, but great kind of example of that domain expert, someone who really ran a very kind of sophisticated trading book for many years, coming with a computer science background and blockchain background as well. And he founded Hashnote last year, and you know, we have been incubating that company since launch of early this year. So Hashnote is really an on-chain asset management platform. So if you think about, if you think about how you would deploy assets into either on-chain treasuries, vol-based products, and alternatives as well. The difference here being that this is all on-chain, walled garden. So if you're looking at kind of yield-based vol products, everything is on-chain. It's completely transparent. And you have a situation where, for example, if I'm putting in some a structured product with some kind of ETH volatility structure, my assets reside on-chain. I can see everything on Etherscan. And then in terms of the volatility and the option pricing, we've got a whole list of whitelisted market makers who periodically bid on the option. So it's very transparent, it's very competitive. It's caters to US and international clients as well. And I can't really disclose it right now, but if that business really has taken off substantially, I would say in the last three months, I think it's the four or five X the AUM growth in probably six weeks now, actually. So that business is really taking off. So that's on the external incubation side. And then on the internal incubation side, expand.network, that's a one-stop shop API for developers, trading desks. We, we founded that company last year and then brought in a CEO and kind of spun that business out. They've got a number of now kind of yeah. corporate clients uh, on board. And what that what that does is if you think about as a developer or a trading desk or anyone who interacts with multiple chains, Expand provides a single API that allows you to read and write across dozens and dozens of different chains, layer ones, twos, DeFi protocols, trading protocols, aggregators, through kind of one single API, which is, again, yeah. retains self-custody of the key. We never see your key. So it's just a very efficient cost-effective way that people interact with with multiple chains in a read and write capacity. Um, a good another good example is on kind of the, the funner stuff is digitally. And that's a, an NFT Web3 wiki that we deployed several months ago. And the reason behind that is I'll be honest, we are in a massive NFT bear market. It's yes. probably the or actually it is officially the first major NFT winter. Yeah. So that's definitely challenging. But what that company does 
is we provide a similar to, to what you would expect from Wikipedia. But mm-hmm. the idea for us was like, how do you provide very clear referenced objective content and information about an NFT collection? So everything yeah. from the founder history to functionality to and user rights and ownership rights, which is a real big question mark on a lot of these NFT collections in a kind of a, a singular format. And what we found is that this is something that we built because we couldn't find it. Everyone yeah. on the team is a part-time NFT hobbyist. And it was just very difficult. Like you can make across a new collection. How do you actually get, how do you get that first initial overview in a way that you can trust? And so the way we built it is said, look, the best people to, similar to Wikipedia, is have a community of people who are incentivized to provide good ton- content for everyone with the idea that ultimately there'll be a token behind it and reward yes. points to begin with. So that's up and running live right now and seeing fantastic metrics in terms of click-through rates for advertising and whatnot. And the response has been fantastic, actually, because, as I say, there's just a, there's a real lack of tea market knowledge at the moment. And at least for the 12 people who are currently looking for information on NFTs globally, Diddly is, the, is a great you know, one-stop shop for them. Well, that's fantastic because it's even though chain is supposed to make things more transparent, there's always been, I don't know, trust has been a big issue in our industry. It's it's so hard to trust because there's always been issues with all sorts of copycat projects and rug pulls and all sorts of things in the NFT market that did make the whole NFT scene really challenging for anyone new just entering the space. So I think it's it's a much needed product like digitally based on what you're describing and what I've looked on the website, because before the podcast, I had to look at it and it, and it definitely looks something that's very useful. What are your thoughts on the future of NFTs? Where do you see NFTs like going or how will they be used in over the next 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I've been in the crypto space long enough to know that you go through these cycles and frankly what happens traditionally is like the bigger the bull market the more painful the (laughs) ensuing kind of winter right it's it's really as simple as that when it comes to nfts right i think about the first real flurry of nft activity was really back to crypto kitties i guess that was in 20 yes that was 2017 that i used to play crypto kitties 2017 and then 2018 early 2018 they started to the project started to die down a bit yeah and that was really that was the first kind of leading indicator right that there there was some interest there right because you you remember at the time ethereum got jammed up and yeah or like and like 20 percent of the traffic on ethereum was just crypto kitties pretty much but it took a long time you know and i remember seeing the open sea guys in hong kong and this was back in i want to say 2018 very small blockchain gaming conferences that there was no real market they built this marketplace and no one was really trading on it and they persisted for years and then uh, it's like 2021 comes around and it's off to the races when you look at those volumes it was a, a pretty insane period there where you had weekly volumes of around i would say 800 to 900 million and trading volumes per week for nearly a year i think we're down to about 30 or 40 million now so it's a massive you know collapse the way i look at nfts now and look from the broader market there's the the narrative is nfts are dead right it's like it's you know 
NFTs are worthless. They're dead. They're not. It's a flash in the pan. It was a phase. It was a phase, or it was a hype. Like whatever it is. Um, and to in many regards, they're absolutely right. Because look, if you, if you think about what happened with the NFT space, right? You had a product with a kind of a marginal cost of production was basically free, right? Yes. It is creating a, a PFP collection. You know, you could do it in a few hours. Yeah, absolutely. You did a little bit of hype, a little bit of Twitter, yeah. Telegram, whatever. You know, it was effectively free money, right? So all of this money was piling into the space and the market responded how markets do, right? Huge demand, massive supply. The quality of that supply was garbage, right? So yeah. similar to the 2007 ITO boom, right? It was just, it's exactly the same thing. Like yes. most of these coins just were just completely garbage right they didn't really go anywhere they didn't really have a, any kind of case and it was the same thing with nfts and i think what you know, what you have to look at now is like number one is there's still a huge amount of activity going on in the space right it's just not as it's not as prominent right you look at whether it's pudgy penguins and the kind of foray into kind of digital toys in walmart looking to expand nationwide Right. You've seen a huge amount of activity in the music space on NFTs. You see, still see a lot of kind of tie-ups and brand collaborations with VFriends and Reebok and yeah. Doodles and Crocs. And so if you're actually open-minded and looking at what's going on, like NFTs haven't gone away, but there's two main things. They're kind of, there's a new bar set for projects need to clear in order to be successful in the space the days of just minting a bunch of garbage with no utility no community no brand no kind of commercial business behind it i think yes. that's, that's that's gone so if you look at the, the you know the the, the larger blue, blue, you know, blue chip companies they're setting a new bar and minimum expectations of what you need to do if you're going to be building an NFT brand, and especially if you're crossing into the physical world as well. So that's one thing I, I like. And at the end of the day, it just it's a step change. It just means for the next 12 to 24 months, if people are coming into the space, they need to, with much better ideas, a lot of transparency, a lot of clarity, and hey, this is the business that I'm going to build, as opposed to I'll just mint some money first and I'll <laughs> whatever. As a kind of a, as a fundamental technological primitive, NFTs are just as fascinating as they were three years ago or five years ago. The difference here now is really that the, the types of people who like in order to succeed, you just need to up your game substantially. And the next the NFTs will come back. There's just no doubt in my mind. It'll just take time. And one of the big things is that you know how to look at digitally. We've really designed that for the next wave of users. And they're not going to come tomorrow, um, but over time they will. And they're going to need a reliable kind of information infrastructure resource to be able to make some kind of decisions. Well, that's so true. But yeah, I, I completely agree with, with everything you said that, yeah, the gaming NFTs and that market is also going to grow. That's how I see it's inevitable that the game fire sector grows. It's still going through some iterations and try people are testing different sort of things in the whole game fire space. But just like CryptoKitty essentially was a game, a very simple game in my point of view. There is 
Another point of view on NFTs is that there will be a lot more access built into it. So it will be used as a ticket, as an access to whether it's a Discord server or a physical event. But that's something like a use of NFT will be there. Do, do you see that happening in, in future or yeah, absolutely. I've spoken to a team here in Singapore who are, you know, focusing on just that um, NFT ticketing in particular. Like it's a, a huge design space. Once you think about having that NFT primitive and your user base, like there's so many things you can do with it, right? It becomes, it, it's so expansive in terms of what, what you can do with it. You mentioned the the blockchain gaming space. There's an area that I focused on, you know, for 12 to 18 months throughout 2018 2019 i did what a few deployments into that space in my previous role and kind of in venture capital deployment when i think about blockchain gaming and i think a lot of it is still and you could say this about crypto in general is i've been surprised by how long it's taken to really get the kind of mainstream adoption i think about back in 2017 18 meeting with the mythical guys right ex activision guys and they you know, really were, were striving to, to build the first triple a game and blancos which they've done but it hasn't really tipped into the mainstream that in a way that i thought it might interestingly i think one area that i'm looking at on nft gaming is actually within the telegram and ton blockchain space because i think that is really if I look at Telegram yeah. and their blockchain, you've got whatever 700 to 800 million Telegram users. As of next month, by default, you have a Telegram crypto wallet, custodial and non-custodial in Telegram. You've got, that won't extend to US people, but everyone else. Yes. So all of a sudden you've got north of half a billion people with a messaging application with a crypto wallet and the ability to build centralized applications or any kind of just blockchain application yeah. within Telegram. So uh, I think that to me is most likely where we're going to see that the first kind of mainstream chain-based game, you could argue Axie Infinity, et cetera, were a precursor to this, but it, mobile is where it's at and having the Absolutely. Absolutely, having the, the, yes. of a wallet of a both a custodial and a non-custodial wallet in your telegram application i think that's yes. that's how you can get distribution in the tens of millions which is not yes. something you can do anywhere else yeah i'm definitely taking a, a long look at the ton blockchain in particular but look i think it'll just take time and look i also understand the resistance from existing you know game developers right I'm, yes. i play a lot of call of duty um i would love to be able to for my you know, Call of Duty skins to be NFTs that I could resell. But Activision or whoever is whoever develops the latest one has no interest in cannibalizing their own. Yeah, yeah they've got they yeah, have no interest in cannibalizing their own, their own revenue. So they're not going to do that anytime soon. But it, it needs to be ground up, fantastic games, and where NFTs allow you to do things that just simply don't allow you that you can't do in other in um, an off-chain mechanics there's got exactly. to be a benefit of putting things on chain whether it is putting and i've had conversation with lots of people in the gaming and, and i've worked in a gaming dow i've worked with gills in 2021 and there's so many different aspects of putting things on chain like you can put like consumables and things like as nfts on chain like how xc infinity did but then there are other ways of there are lots of other aspects of games that we still don't often see on chain, like the user data on chain, like leaderboards on chain. We don't often see that so that you do take your 
XP across different universes and people can immediately see that, oh, Dama is, I don't know, like this level of player in Call of Duty. So he's really good at first-person shooters and all that. Yeah, 0.3 KD ratio. Yeah, like, yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> I was going to say 15 KD ratio or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. Since you say I... play a lot. <laughs> That 0.3 is mine. I, I've yeah, played yeah. a lot of, I've worked in esports in past, this is many years ago, but, but yeah, exactly. And then there is the other larger aspects of gaming, such as putting the logic of the game on chain or putting the state of the game on chain, which are still so complex. And we are still probably 10 years away from achieving anything like that. But yeah, I do think that this, this area is super interesting and we will get more people. And as you said, that the incumbents and they have no they don't see a benefit. They only see a disadvantage because they are not looking at, and that's why it's got to be new IP, just US dollar, which is the kind of like the currency of the world in some sense. They don't see the benefit of allowing a lot more crypto adoption because they see, uh, that's how I feel like. They feel like it erodes its power because it is an economic weapon that US controls. This is just in my personal view. And that's why it, leaves and opens up this space for countries like Hong Kong and Singapore and Dubai, city states like Dubai type or where they can create and attract new talent and stuff. So that, that's what similar things will happen with gaming as well and with NFTs as well, that it will create a new space for people to come and innovate and challenge the incumbents like whether it's Activision or Ubisoft or any such studios and stuff. And eventually they will join and they will see that, okay, now there are people there. So now, but yeah, what you said about Telegram was also super interesting that they've got distribution. And this is, that is, this is a characteristic of a really seasoned founder. They not only think about the product, but they also think about distribution. It's like something like Amazon has done really well. They are a distribution company. And, and that's why it's like when they release Amazon Prime, they know how to distribute Amazon Prime. And, and immediately it is in tens of millions of homes. Telegram has distribution. And I've seen this with some other founders as well who are building wallets on top of, of text messages or on top of WhatsApp or other things that, you know, so that there is distribution from day one. And as that all of us in, in crypto, we use all, everyone uses Telegram. It is so widely used. So that is a super interesting point that you made. My, my next question is that since you have so much of experience in TradFi and also you understand DeFi so well, what are some of the trends that you are seeing in DeFi? What's interesting, I think what is happening now is I think there is a push to really merge TradFi and DeFi together in many respects. Because if you think yeah. about, like, at the end of the day, like, global money, when we talk about the scale of whether it's FX, interest rate products, fixed income, equity, right, that will never trade in size without kind of in the absence of some kind of walled environment. So you're never going to find large banks and asset managers deploying into completely, you know, DeFi areas and exchanges. It's just not going to happen, right? Yeah. There are handcuffs there which will never be removed, right? Yes. Having said that, there is, and I think that this has also been driven by the change in kind of the industry environment as well, which is if you look at real-world assets on-chain and really starting with, say, tokenized treasuries, yes. there is a huge drive 
to be able to bridge DeFi trading desk towards a traditional on-chain asset managers, while at the same time giving them more and more access to financial products which reside on-chain. So, for example, if you think about your ability now, if you're a trading desk and you're sitting on a pile of USDC and, and you're kind of a, a crypto native trading desk, if you've got idle cash, how are you going to like safely yield on that? So in terms of capital efficiency, you've got two choices, right? You can either mint, redeem, get your fiat, send that to a brokerage account, put it into a money market fund with kind of all of the headache that involves. And then when you want that money back to deploy you need to unwind it fiat back into crypto and it's it's it's, yeah it's your settlement times you've got it's just a mess right whereas if you think about okay what if that trading desk can and this is something that hashnote offers for example which is t0 settlement i'm sitting on let's say a million usdc i'm not going to be using it for the next six weeks, I can spot that into USYC, which is Hashnode's tokenized yield product. And immediately I'm earning 5% plus on my my idle US dollar and I can get back out either T0 or T plus one. Again, I'm facing a regulated institution. And again, I've now got this additional piece of infrastructure that allows me to stay on chain deploying into an asset that I trust because it has some regulatory clarity side to it. And meanwhile, I'm still going to go on trade on DeFi on the back end, right? I'm still going to be maybe being an LP on whatever AMM I want to. So I've got both sides of it now. I think that the first wave of product that we're going to see over the next six to 12 months is really more about bringing traditional assets on chain. And I think FX is a massive one in particular. And I think you're going to see a massive change in, like, if you look at the moment, I think it's like 99.2% of the total outstanding stablecoin market is dollars at the moment. That intrinsically makes no sense to me, right? Stablecoins are, without a doubt, the best way of transferring transferring fiat value. Like, they just are. I can send you... 10,000 USDC right now, yes. right now, cross borders, no fees, tiny within, fees. Within a minute, within 30 seconds, Done. I'll have the, yeah, the, there is no fiat service like in TradFi that provides that level of speed, efficiency, low fees, everything. Yeah. So we, we build on top of that. Once you start having yes. non-dollar stable coins, I send you 10,000 Sing dollars, you receive Kiwi dollars, right? Yes. And then maybe it runs through an AMM. You start to think about kind of remittance, for example, that like, yes. that's a huge use case. But I think DeFi will always remain DeFi, right? There, there will be all of this, this, there will always be this kind of sector of the market, which really is decentralized and sits there. And I think it's a super valuable piece of kind of the entire blockchain stack. But what I think is that there's going to be more and more fusing, not necessarily one between one and the other, but with more options for people who sit in the middle of DeFi and TradFi to be able to kind of asset allocate more uh, effectively. And so that's probably where I think we're going to go in the next uh, six to 12 months. Oh, yeah, that's 
That is so true. This is something that so many people have also said that when I've interviewed them that, look, there's going to be more merging of DeFi and CeFi or it will all be just finance pretty much over time. And as you say, it's got to merge and that's where a lot of the new adoption will come. I have another question around what you were saying and your view of stable coins, like where do you think they are going and what are some of the new innovations that you think we'll, we're likely to see in that space? Yeah, I think when it comes to stablecoin, I think it's, frankly, it's about 90% is structure, as in what is your, what is the the legal status of the underlying assets? Are they bank, banks of bankruptcy remote? Is there a clear line of sight between the stablecoin holder and the underlying asset from a kind of a regulatory and compliance and custodian perspective? The way I view stablecoins is they can never trade outside of parity and they should never trade like anything, any deviation from a dollar for a dollar is a massive failure. That's just all there is to it. Like we saw earlier this year with Circle and USDC, like that exposed a lot of issues, not only with the way Circle was set up, but also with the banking system in general, right? That cannot happen. It simply cannot happen. Like I do not, as a consumer, I've got, I've got a dollar sitting in my DBS bank account. Yes. I never want to have to worry about whether or not that dollar is actually worth a dollar or whether it's 90 cents or yeah. you know, whether it's 95 cents. That's just not something that I want to have to worry about. And yeah, obviously we, we're going back into, okay, technically it's, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a bank liability. Is it a dollar really? But let, let's say that we can bank deposit insurance and whatnot. I never have to want to have to worry about that at all. Just not even remotely. There's two things that go into that. One is obviously the structure, and the second is your market making ability. So you need to have a very highly lubricated market making infrastructure to be able to make sure that, like and, dealing yeah. with the, the Cumberland Trading Desk here, which are, these guys are probably one, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, stablecoin trading firm in the market. You need to be able to redeem. 100 million, 200, 500 million with no price impacts, right? That's just the reality of the situation, right? So it needs to be highly stress tested and you need to be, you need to have an unbelievably efficient market making infrastructure in order to facilitate that. So there's a lot that goes into it, but the, I think, yeah, and I think really the last year is, has showed a lot of that. And I think PayPal coming into the market is hugely bullish for the space as well. The way that they set up, the content is the brand, the, you know, it's a very trusted, it's a very trusted global brand when it comes to you know, merchants and consumers. And I think that's probably, it's, if anything, I think it's underrated what PayPal will you know, likely you know, do in the next 12 to 24 months. The one thing that we really talk about all the time here is like, how do we drive non-dollar stablecoin adoption. I spent a lot of time with the uh, head of business development at Cumberland and yeah. he, his, his primary mission really is this, is to build the kind of the non-stablecoin, uh, non-dollar stablecoin market. So one of the projects we're working on now is an FX DEX and, you know, we're working with stablecoin yeah. issuers to try and generate more liquidity in the non-dollar stables. I think it's, there's a huge opportunity there. I haven't, I don't know. why we haven't seen more growth in, say, the euro stablecoin, sterling, Canadian dollar, et cetera. I don't really know quite why. I don't have a really good answer for it. I ask everyone and I get 
lots of different answers. I haven't really figured that one out yet. That's but, yeah, a very interesting I, question. Why haven't we seen? Why I am asking that to myself. I pay people in stable coins. I've got paid in stable coins. Why haven't asked people to pay me? Is it just brand recognition of US dollar is so strong that everyone just asks in that? Yeah, at the end of the day, dollar is still a reserve currency. So yes. it makes sense for there to be a majority of activity mm -hmm. in the dollar space. But it doesn't make sense for me for it to be less than 1% being non-dollars. That to me does not make a huge amount of sense. Yeah, because and, even the reserve currency, like dollar is only about 60% of the market, 60, 61%, something like that. It's not like there is still so much activity in other currencies on the world. Yeah. The thing is that the, the, the US, I, I, if you were to, if they were to really get behind stablecoin legislation, stablecoins could be one of the biggest exports for the US globally, right? And if you think about, yes. if you think about it at a higher level, right? If you've got all of emerging market, Asia, everyone with a natural desire for dollars, if you give it to them, and then on top of that, you're going to give them some way to earn interest. That means, by the way, that means buying your debt. It's like a win. It's it's insane to me that you just don't view dollars as a massive export. But yeah, I, I think it's sure. a huge opportunity there. But It is. So I was talking with the senator of uh, Wyoming. And and they are looking at introducing a stable coin backed by the Wyoming state. And it will be backed like 104%, up to 102, yeah. 204%. So there is still some more. So it doesn't face what, you know, USDC faced a little, some time ago and stuff. So it was very interesting. So they is working on the regulation. It's not something easy to get anything passed through the U.S. government. And, no, it, and... it's difficult. And they are the kind of the Wyoming SPDI, which is a special purpose depository yes. institution. So the idea there is that you have kind of a, basically a quote unquote, a bank, which issues one asset, well, liability, and that's your stable coin. The issue they have there is there only, there's only so much you can do at the state level before yeah. you start tripping over the, the federal level. And I think if you look at, is it Custodia? No, Caitlin Long's bank, right? Those guys, I think I'm going to have a look up now what the um, the, the name of that, that Wyoming-based, yeah, it's Custodia Bank, right? They've been working very hard for, I want to say years to be able to do this. And in yeah. particular, if you look at interest-bearing stable coins, right? There's no reason why you should be holding USDC for more than a day, right? You should be in a 5% rate environment. Like your capital should be earning close to 5% if you own it, right? There is a huge opportunity there for interest-bearing stable coins. But yeah, again, you start to fall over a lot of the kind of the, the regulatory restrictions you have. Yes. Yeah, which is a shame. Apart from regulatory issues, are there or what's your biggest challenge at whether it's Cumberland or the other incubator or DRW or any of your associated companies? Gosh, I've, if I, 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 I could probably speak for hours about the, the challenges, <laughs> to be quite honest. They might start we work like in Web3. That's why we all have yeah. a great yes. <laughs> It's nothing but problems. Um, yes. You know, I would say there's a there's a few things. Um, you know, uh, the the regulatory side of things is really challenging, yeah. and especially because I think about 
like I, I first bought crypto in what 2012 but it wasn't until 2016 15 16 that i really the switch flipped for me and i remember thinking of, and the reason it did was because living in hong kong and i like to if i'm watching the football or something i like to have a like a small bet if i'm watching tottenham my team typically i bet against tottenham so i'm emotionally hedged and <laughs> so in, in hong kong it's there's gambling is illegal unless you go through the hong kong chocolate club which is kind of the the, the state betting shop and because there's no competition the prices you get are just terrible just yes. really bad pricing and so i would look at kind of sports books like betfair and it was just really complicated i had to set it up using my uk bank account and address and uk phone mm. and actually to vpn and, and i remember looking at this company called peer plays and they wanted to build a, just a straightforward decentralized betting protocol Similar to not the prediction market, oh, I forgot the name of it. God, this dates me. The one that came out 2015, it's gone by the wayside now. I forgot the name of it. But, I, but the way when I read that white paper, I'm like, okay, I get this because you've got a, this decentralized protocol with all the business lit logic on chain. And now I can make a simple bet against this decentralized protocol. And maybe if I have a token, I can actually earn some, maybe there's a profit share, maybe there's some royalties. Like I get some, I can quote unquote buy equity yeah. in this decentralized protocol, right? And that to me, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Yes, it's regulatory and legal stuff aside. I thought, okay, wow, this is really interesting. And that for me was, was really what set me down the rabbit hole yeah, in 2015. And I always viewed blockchain as just this incredibly powerful technology when it comes to the creation and dissemination of economic value, right? So if you've got yeah. a token, it can be ascribed, again, dividends, royalty, interest, profit share, voting, and everything is on chain. So I don't need to worry. Yeah. I see I see the value that comes into the protocol. I see what comes out. Like it's, it's really perfect in many regards. Absolutely. Obviously, the, 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 what I want to really struggle with, though, is as soon as you start imbuing any kind of economic characteristics into your token, they become a security. And so what you then have is you've got an army of lawyers. Every time you want to do something and you want to release a token, <laughs> they are going to make you strip out anything of economic value. And that yes. to me was always so frustrating. It's so yeah. frustrating to me because it's like you've got this unbelievably democratizing, you know, democratizing primitive, right? You can just yes. create a business which is on, anyone can participate, right? Whether yes. it's for a dollar or a dollar. Yeah. Completely permissionless, right? And I guess, you know, what you see now is if you look at the, whatever, how many million tokens listed on coin market cap, like the vast majority of them just don't, it's, it's impossible to give them any kind of value, right? You, there's no, yeah. because there's no characteristic under, underpinning them. Yes. And that's always going to be my, my biggest gripe and i would have thought by now there would be a way to have addressed this but there really hasn't it's gone in the opposite direction and so a lot of the things i would love to do like really love to do i would love tokens to really represent ownership like real yeah. genuine ownership uh, but we can't do it yet and that to me is really frustrating because until we can crack that i just think we're limited um in the kind of the upside that we can create. I think NFTs will actually probably get there faster than traditional crypto protocols. That's my, my, my general thinking. But yeah, that, that's the regular side is definitely the, the biggest headache that I have at the moment. Second is trying to keep track of everything, right? The, the space is still 
when I first got into the space, there were there was only like a couple dozen protocols out there. It was there really wasn't like it was Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum Classic, <laughs> Dash, these kind of and it's yeah. just that the space has exploded to the extent that trying to stay on top of everything is incredibly difficult. And the final challenge is always is how do we find really good entrepreneurs who want to build something that fits in with kind of our vision and our network and our relationship with DRW and Cumberland and find them at the right time because we need yes. to find these people early. early. Um, and that is, that's always a, a really a big challenge and it can be quite a time consuming process to, to go, go through this. Those are probably the, the biggest challenges. And my, our general counsel, Cumberland Labs, who's ex-CFTC and Coinbase, I was talking to him this morning. I, I just joke about him because I'm like, I just keep saying, I'm like, okay, here's what I want to do. And he'll just shut his eyes and sigh and just, oh, <laughs> gosh. So again, I'm constantly like, how can we do this? Be creative. Like, how can we do this? Because it's the constant, it's a constant, um, ultimately, I want to be able to provide as much value and back companies and projects and businesses that provide value to yeah. the people who interact with them and the people who own the token. That's what I want to be able to do. And that's anything that inhibits that, which of which there are plenty of things I, I want to try and come. So that's just a constant daily. How can we do this? How can we clear this bar? Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. What flipped the switch for me was not like, I, I tried to set up a miner on my laptop to mine Bitcoin in 2012, but I, I couldn't see. I was like, this is so complicated. Who would ever use this? But what flipped the switch for me was Ethereum, like the smart contracts. Wow, that this is programmable money. And every time there's been a new form of money, it has completely 10x the whole global economy. <laughs> and it just made so much sense. Whether it was the, the start of the whole stock market in, in Netherlands and in like with the Dutch East India Company in 1700 or something, or just the rise of the paper money going from written credit and exchange to, yeah, it, it just changes. Like it just eases commerce and it increases the velocity of money and, and increases the amount of commerce that can happen because of a new form of money. And that's what I see it as that, yeah, regulation, as you said, <laughs> doesn't allow everything at, at this stage, but over time, it will be evident that there is no fighting it. Like as some of my yeah. friends say, like the cat is out of the bag. It's the genie yeah. is out of the bottle. It's no yeah. putting so it. Very, very much. Although you're speaking to a guy who first sold Ethereum at $9 because I remember just, I was like, this is not going to scale. It's just not, we're not going to be able to have anywhere close to throughput, through, throughput required to deploy kind of enterprise grade applications on chain, which is not. And so I was like, that was the first time I sold it, it was at $9. I was like, it's not going to scale. To be honest, it really hasn't that much, but yeah. obviously that's, so I was right, but obviously very wrong. But uh, sorry to take more than expected, but I'm having so much fun. This has been excellent. One of the things that I have seen anyone in, in the space, this is for them, is every single objection I had of the crypto blockchain, and I've had lots Every year, there is new innovation that comes and solves it. It's, yes, transaction cost, 
was a major objection I always had in the early days of 2015-16 that, okay, Ethereum is so expensive for transaction. 2017, I can't sell a crypto kitty. It cost me 20 or $80 even at times. But now transaction costs on Polygon, on all these new chains and on L2s, it, it's minuscule. It's nothing like that. Then there was the stability that I can run a business when I don't know what my cost is going to be. One day it's really high, one day it's really low. But stable coins provide that stability. It's one-to-one. It's every time I have an objection within a year, there is a whole new infrastructure on blockchain that has solved that problem. So over time, we will solve all these issues. That's why I'm still optimistic and that's why I'm still here in this space. But having said that, my last thing is feel free to share if you have any ask from the audience, if you want them to check out, to reach out to you or anything. If you are looking for any types of founders, feel free to share anything you have. Yeah, look, we're always looking for for founders with great ideas, especially any anything, any kind of project where you know we can really leverage i think what we have in terms of relationship and the market access and liquidity provision of company companies like cumberland and drw that's certainly certainly one and also go and earn some reward points on digitally just go contribution content to a collection page i think actually we, we we're actually and tomorrow is we're giving away a, a little touchy actually to the whoever contributes the most that's literally tomorrow, ending tomorrow. But that'll be, it'll be over by the time this people but, hear this oh, podcast. Yes, it will be <laughs> before or, or by the time in 10 days or so, um, by the time this podcast is released. But still, I'd still put a link to Digitally and to Cumberland Labs and to all your socials so people can check it out and join and start contributing to, to this digital economy. So yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much, Tama, for your time. No, thanks, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening or watching this episode of the web tree with sam kamani podcast by now you know the drill leave a comment or share this episode with a friend and leave a review i would love to hear from you so that's why my dms are open reach out to me especially if you are a founder building a product in web tree then i would love to hear from you what are your challenges is there anything that I can help you or my community can help you with. Thank you once again and wish you best of luck in building your startup or your project.